Well, this morning I'm blessed to uh, be able to share with you uh, my pastor. Uh, pastor Terry Larson was uh, mine and Julie's pastor uh, when God called me in the ministry and opened a door for a church in uh, Randleman, North Carolina. And uh, he pastored for many, many years at Calvary Baptist in McLeansville, North Carolina. Uh, he now pastors uh, Shady Grove Baptist Church. And uh, I was telling the guys when we were praying this morning, they're still... Uh, some messages that he preached, some things that I can still remember from him. That's been over 20 years ago. And so hopefully today uh, the words that God speaks through him will impact you uh, as they've impacted my life. And so I'm going to ask Brother Terry Larson if he'll come up here and bring the Word of God to us this morning. I'm thinking about moving my membership here, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was sitting there. If you can't preach after that singing, you just can't preach. You ought to quit. I um, am honored to be here. I have known uh, John Ferguson since I was skinny and I had hair. <laughs> and guess what? He was skinny and he had hair. <laughs> he started attending a church that I was on staff at, Gate City, as a teenager. And you know why he came there. He prayed about it, and the Lord led him to that church. No, he came there because there was a girl there. That's why he came. <laughs> and then Julie, uh, she's going to sing at my funeral one day. I just love her singing. Amen. I appreciate her. Someone came up to me. I went up to someone before the service started, and this lady, she said, boy, we, we love John. And you know what? That tells me all I need to know about this church. Um, I asked John before I got here, I said, how's things going at the church? You do that. How's things going? And all he said was he bragged on this church. He bragged on this staff. He bragged on these people and the ministry here. And, and you're blessed because of that. Amen. Now, I've known John a long time. And he, the only fault I have against him is he's a Carolina fan. That's a, that's a deep hurt in my world. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I, in, in North Carolina, the Duke-Carolina rivalry is unmatched, so. But he's going to make some mistakes, let me say that. I promise you. You forgive him, okay? He's not perfect. He's not going to walk on water. But he loves you, and it's his desire to see the lost converted and the converted grow in their relationship with Christ. And you can't ask for more than that. I um, want to commend him for his leadership. We're living in a world that I never imagined. I, um, I went to seminary at Liberty, and evidently, when I was in school there, I missed the day where they taught us how to pastor a church during a pandemic. I must have missed that because I didn't have any notes. Now, these are hard times uh, to be pastoring. Uh, these are hard times for everybody. I have said the word pandemic more in the last 10 months than I have ever said in my life combined. And how we do church, the decisions we have to make, school uh, whether they're going to school or not going to school, whether you can't visit people, restaurants open and closed. This, is, this pandemic is a world we never imagined. And then uh, politics. Let me say straight up, if you think who we put in the White House is the answer for this world's problems, you're sadly mistaken. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in the messages that are preached about the gospel in the church house. And, and I was thinking as, as we were worshiping, I thought if every church in this nation was, was just like Hillcrest Baptist Church, if every church 
was just like this church, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in today. So we praise God for the ministry here and what's being preached here. But we're living in a time and in a world that we never imagined, even a year ago, we never imagined we'd be in the mess that we're in today. And here's the question that's often asked. When are things going to get back to what? Normal. And from that comes a word. I'm just going to be honest with you. I detest this word. I'm going to use this word several times in my sermon today, but I, I've, I have grown over these last few months to detest the word new normal. Are y'all tired of hearing that word? New normal. Well, that's what I'm preaching on this morning, the new normal. Do we really want to go back to the old normal is the question. People say, oh, we're going to, we, we, when are we going to get back to things being normal? And I know what you mean by that. But do we want to get back to the old normal? Trevon Wax authored an article several months ago in the Gospel Coalition, and he entitled the article Old Normal. And he made this statement, and I'm going to go through a few of the things that he said, but he said we're not going back. We're not going back to thing, the way things used to be. And he gave some characteristics of the old normal. Let me give you five characteristics of the old, old normal. By that, I mean characteristics of how this world was a year ago, two years ago, the last five years ago how this world has existed and acted over the last few years. Number one, Americans have interacted less and less. We have a lot of virtual friends. I have thousands of virtual friends on Facebook. I don't know who they are. I have friends on Instagram. I don't know who uh, they are. And, and the shame about that is we don't know the people that live next door to us. We can drive into our homes, open the garage, park our cars, and never see anyone in our neighborhood. And it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor's name. And so the old normal, one of the characteristics are Americans for years have been interacting less and less. Number two, commitments are less. And we've been preaching this in the churches. Oh, we need to be what? More committed. It's, it's not just in the church, though. Um, it's in civic organizations and all kinds of community clubs and groups. People are just, unfortunately, less committed to the church and to everything else than they used to be. Number three, family time suffered. One of the old normals in our culture in the United States is that family time suffered. We would go into different directions. I remember when my children were little, my boys, I have two boys and a girl, my two boys were 15 months apart. That meant that they could not play on the same ball teams together, soccer and baseball. So we would put one-on-one -on -one uh, team and one on another team, and, and we went in different directions. We, we never, we'd, sometimes we'd go out of town for tournaments. I'd be the western part of the state. My wife would be on the eastern part of the state. We'd go here, there, and everywhere, and family time has suffered. I had a young man come up to me several months ago, and uh, he, he told me, he said, you know what? He said, I used to, when I was a little boy, I would eat dinner with my grandmother just about every day. He said, I haven't done that in years until this pandemic came around. And he said, now I'm spending more time with my family and with my grandmother. And, we're, and he's making memories that are going to last him a lifetime. But in the old normal, we're, we were so busy going here and there uh, that we family time suffered. Number four, we consumed entertainment. We get our news in a flash. I, I rarely, <laughs> let me say this, I rarely watch the news anymore. My anxiety cannot handle it. Back in... Um, Thanksgiving, I had COVID. 
It went through my family, and I had COVID. And, and the biggest mistake I made when I had COVID is that I watched the news one night, and I figured out I was going to die before morning. It scared me to death. I'm laying there, and I've got a three-, four-month-old little granddaughter and a grandson that's six. I said, Lord, they're, they're, my granddaughter's not even going to remember my name. I thought I'd be dead by morning. So I, I, had, I have intentionally, through the political season and just in general, I intentionally have pulled back from watching uh, the news. But we... As a culture, we might not watch the news, but we binge watch. That's a new word. That's a new word that's come around recently. We binge watch uh, television shows. We cook less, eat out often. I have a saying that no one eats at home anymore. We grab our food and, and head home, might eat around the table, but we cook less, we eat out more, just so we can do what? Do more things, consume entertainment. And then number five, political division, the old normal political division, drug crisis, and racial tension uh, that is in our world and has been in our world uh, for several years. And because of all this, they tell us, because of interacting less and commitments are less and family time and entertainment and all these divisions, because of that, there's been a tremendous decline in happiness. Now, why do we want to go back to that? Why, why do we want to return to that type of of world. We're, we're not going to return back to the old normal. And in many ways, this preacher is okay with that. I consider what has happened over this last year to be a divine disruption. You do understand that what's happened here was not an accident. You do understand that, and this has been the anchor that I've held on to, that God is in control. In a world that is chaotic, in a world that is changing overnight, the anchor that I have held on to is that God is in control. And, and he rules and overrules in the affairs of men. And so what we have experienced and what we are in the midst of is a divine disruption. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 19. It is my firm belief that in the midst of this divine disruption, that God is wanting to do something new. I pray in our nation. I pray in our communities. I pray in our churches. And this morning, we have prayed specifically that God will do something new in your life. Isaiah chapter 43, beginning with verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea. I like that phrase, don't you? I've underlined it in my Bible. The Lord who makes a way. When, when there seems to be no way, when, when there seems to be uh, blockade after blockade, the Lord will make a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Who brings forth? What is happening here in this first verse that I read is that the Lord is reminding Israel how he acted in the past. He made a path for the Israelites to walk through the Red Sea. It says, who brings forth the chariots and the horse. The Egyptian army was coming after the children of Israel, and the Lord made a path in the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry, land, dry ground. And then the last part of verse 17, they are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. God took care of his children. He reminds them of that. And then look at verse uh, 18. Do not remember the former thing. Isn't that interesting? He had just got through reminding them 
of how God had taken care of them during the Exodus. They're here in Babylonian captivity. So he reminds them of how he took, took care of them. And then he says, do not remember the former things. He's saying here, do not glorify the past. What's one of our sayings? Boy, we sure miss the what? The good old days. Or we start talking about the old normal. And, and the Lord is saying here, look, do not remember the former things. Don't, we can make in our life and we can make in our churches we can make the past a hero. We can glorify the past. And when we do that, we're not experiencing and looking at what God is doing in the present. I'm thankful for the past. I'm thankful. I, I love to hear testimonies of, of how God worked in the past. But what excites me more is to hear how God is working in your life today. When I hear a testimony, I want to hear what God is saying to you and changing you and convicting you and challenging you in this new thing that God is doing today. And also, not just today, but in the future. God is going to do great things, not only today, but also great things that he is yet to do. Do not remember the for former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold! Behold, he's sort of waking us up, you know, sort of, sort of an exclamation point here. He says, look, behold, I will do a new thing. And that's what we need in our nation. That's what we need in our churches, and that's what we need in our families, in our church communities. We need God to do a new thing. If you're always talking about what God did yesterday, if you're always talking about what God did in the past, then you're going to miss out on what God is doing in the present. If you're here and you're discouraged and, and, and you are sort of hopeless and there's a lot of people that are there today, life is hard and life is stressful, I want you to know that God is desiring to do a new thing in your life. Even now, even now, God might be doing something new and fresh in our nation. That's my prayer. That's my hope. I'm not giving up on revival in this country. And God is doing something new in this community. And God is doing something new in this church. And God wants to do something new in your life. Don't make the past a hero. Don't glorify the past. But look to the future with excitement and with expectation. And in the midst of this divine disruption... In the midst of this time where things are never going to get back to what it, way it used to be, the old normal, look to the future with excitement and with expectancy to, and I'm going to say that word I don't really like, but look to it with excitement and expectancy that God is going to do a new work in your heart and in your life. Now, how do you prepare for that? How do you, do you prepare for that, a new thing? Here's what I want to give you. There are a few words here. They all start with R. And I just want to share how to prepare for the new normal, how to prepare for God to do something new in your life. You ought to write these words down. Number one, the word is reflect. Reflect. Slow down. We're too busy. What we've done oftentimes is scheduled God right out of our life. We have this things-to-do list, and, and we're so intense on what's going on that 
that we leave little to no time for God. My favorite television show, now you shouldn't be surprised about this because I'm from North Carolina. My favorite television show is the Andy Griffith Show. Does anybody watch that in Tennessee? I thought so. Well, come visit us, Mount Airy. Everybody ought to go there. They, there was a show on the Andy Griffith Show where a preacher from New York came to preach. Any of y'all remember that? And he said, you know, you got to slow down and your life is too busy. And so they decided uh, to make a, a, have a band concert on Sunday night. And so he told them they needed to slow down, which you couldn't get much slower in Mayberry. But he was telling them to slow down, and, and then they started doing all these things, and their life got busier. Well, I'm telling you this morning that you need to slow down a little bit. Uh, you need to reflect. Take some moments to reflect. And by that, I mean this. Ask some hard questions. Ask yourself some hard questions. You say, well, I don't know what question to ask. I'm going to help you. Here's the question I want you to ask, answer. Not right now. Take this home with you. Ask this question. What matters most? Whew. Whew. That's a question right there. What matters most? What are the priorities in your life? Because we have a tendency to be so busy with life that we get the answer to that question all out of whack. So, so take some time to answer, ask some hard questions. Reflect. Number two, reset. Reset. In, in asking the question, what matters most, figure out what your priorities are. If you want God to do something new in your life, you've got to get your priorities right. Let me read a quote by Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, and he's been dead since 2014. And he wrote this in one of his books. We live in a changing world, but we need to be reminded that the important things have not changed. And the important things will not change if we keep our priorities in proper order. He didn't know anything about a pandemic. He didn't know anything about the world that has changed over this last year. But he was a very wise man, and he knew that we needed to keep our priorities in the right order. I've, I've failed at that at times. I'm just going to confess that to you. I've messed up. Matter of fact, tonight I'm preaching on what God does when we fail. So come back for that. I'm going to preach on miracles tonight. And if you need a miracle in your life, you need to come back for, to our service this evening. But we have a tendency to get our priorities out of order. Let me go ahead and sort of answer that question for you. This is a pretty good answer for the question of what matters most. Faith and family. Faith and family. I know there's other things in our world. I know we got to work. I know there's other things that go on in our life. But a pretty good priorities begin with making sure that your faith in Christ, your commitment to Christ, and your family is at the top of the list. Reflect, reset, and then refocus. If I uh, take these glasses off, first of all, most of y'all look a whole lot better, and I'm out of focus. And it's, e it's very easy for me to take these off and be out of focus. And it also is very easy for us to get out of focus in our life, for us to somehow get our eyes and our heart 
and our mind off the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith. Let me just be real simple here. Do you spend time in the Word of God? Do you serve the Lord? Do you pray? Do you worship? Do you care about other people? Do you tell others the good news? I just went through the acronym IMPACT. Instruction in God's Word, mobilizing for ministry, praying with faith, adoration through worship, uh, caring community of believers, and telling others the good news. And, and we sometimes overcomplicate this thing of living for the Lord and, and, and serving the Lord. But just, are, are you focused on the Lord Jesus Christ? where he has your, your mind and your heart and your strength and you're studying the word of God and you're serving other people, you're loving God and loving others, you're praying and worshiping, and caring about other people, telling other people the good news. Let us be focused on what's important. Let us give Christ our all. Next word is relentless. Reflect, reset, refocus, relentless. If God's going to do a new thing, in our community, in our world, in this church, in your life, we've got to be sort of intentional about it. We have to be relentless. I looked up the word relentless. Let me give you uh, some other definitions of the word persistent, constant, resolute, tenacious, tireless, single-minded, unceasing. Reminds me of Philippians 3 verse 14 where it says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to be relentless. I'm going to teach you a poem. Now, John, you know this poem. It's a poem that I taught. It's the one thing John remembers that I preached 100 years ago, 20 years ago. And I'm going to teach you a poem, and it's a poem that I came across several years ago. I'd like to say I penned this poem, but I got it from another preacher. I've been doing this for so long, I'm just going to start telling people that I wrote it, okay? Because it's like 30 years ago. Uh, but it, it's a poem that I know because of how smart you are. I haven't been around you much, but I've got this idea that most of you all are, why are you laughing? That most of the people around here are pretty smart. And you'll be able to remember this poem and recite it 20 years from now. And it has to do with being relentless because life is hard. And sometimes you just want to stay home. And sometimes you just want to sleep. You get sort of lackadaisical about this thing of following Christ. So when life is hard, I want to teach you this poem. Listen to it. Plow on, plow on, plow on, plow on. Plow on, plow on. You got it? You know why he's got it? Because he's smart. His name's Terry. Plow on, plow on, plow on. Now, let's say that together. I got confidence in you now. Don't Y'all shouting Baptist. Let's say it together. Plow on, plow on, plow on. Y'all can do better than that. I've seen y'all. Does Tennessee play football? Yeah. Oh, somebody said, no, you better watch out. <laughs> well, not since Peyton Manning. I was looking for an orange tie and couldn't find one. All right, let's do it. Let's do it together one more time. Let's do it. Plow on, plow on, plow on. Plow on, plow on, plow on. Plow on, plow on, plow on. So, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes serving Jesus is hard. And in those times, we have to plow on. The last 
or word I want to give you is why we're here today. It's the word revival. We need revival more and more. And, and I've been saying this for 30 years, and I believe it more now than ever. If our nation is going to survive, we must revive. It is revival for survival. I am praying that we'll have another great awakening. The first great awakening, uh, the last great awakening, which was the third, the last great awakening began because six men closed their stores in New York City and started praying. They started praying, and then some other people started closing their shops. And soon enough, all over New York City, people were closing their businesses and praying, and it spread from New York City all across the United States where we had a great awakening. I'm praying for that to happen again. I'm praying earnestly as I've never prayed for before. Let me give you three different ways we need revival. The first way we need revival is personal revival. Listen, my friends, get your life right with God. If you're not living for him and you're not serving him and if you're not surrendered to him, after all he's done for us, how can we do anything else but give him our heart and our life? We know that verse. It was quoted this morning in the prayer time. If my people, my people, if we're going to have revival, it's not from those people. It's my people. My people in the church house have to be revived. And we're all for revival. Revival, you got to repent and believe and repent and obey. Another R word there. They say, well, we need revival. We need, we need for people to repent. We need for people to obey until it comes to us repenting <laughs> and, and to us obeying and to us believing. We're okay. All of you need to repent. But we're not real comfortable with repenting ourselves. The day of casual Christianity is over. I grew up in a time in Durham. I grew up in Durham, North Carolina. Everybody went to church. It was the cultural thing to do. The day of casual, comfortable Christianity is over. And we'll say, well, persecution is coming to believers in the United States. No, persecution is not coming to believers in the United States. For those that live and follow Jesus Christ, persecution's here. Now, it may get worse, but it's here. And so the days of comfortable, comfortable, we're all about some comfort, aren't we? You go to Amazon, and they will sell you thousands of dollars of stuff to make your life more comfortable. Put, put in comfortable shoes. You'll get page after page of comfortable shoes. All about some comfort. We like things our way. I asked my wife. She said I could tell this story. The other night, we got, we got a forecast for snow in North Carolina. Now, I don't know how it is here, but when snow in North Carolina is forecast, people go nuts. I mean, it is, a, it is a law that you have to go to the grocery store and buy bread and milk. I don't even drink milk. I go to the grocery store and buy milk. You have to do that. And so my wife and I, we went to the grocery store like the law says you have to do when they call for snow. We, we were, we were going to get like an inch, inch and a half, you know. We had to be prepared for that. And so my wife and I, we went to the grocery store along with the rest of North Carolina. And we got home. We got home. And my wife had forgotten the um, whipped cream that you put on her coffee. And you know what I had to do? 
because we were going to be snowed in the next morning, and she drinks this foo-foo coffee, Starbucks of some kind, and it's not very good if you don't have the whipped cream on top of it. And so I had to go back and get her that so she would be comfortable. We have to be comfortable. We want things the way we want them. The day of comfortable Christianity. Who told us that taking up your cross and following Jesus is about being comfortable? And I have people tell me, will you teach a Sunday school class? Or will you do this? Or will you do this in church? I don't feel comfortable doing that. Comfortable. Casual. And cultural. Following Christ is no longer cultural. Most of the people in my neighborhood on Sunday morning are still at home when I get home from church. And that was before the pandemic. So it's not a cultural thing now. So to be a follower of Christ, we can no longer have our Christianity on automatic pilot. We, we've got to be intense. We, we need personal revival. I came across this quote a while back, and it said this. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. If you're going to be a Christian, be one. If you're going to say I'm a... If I ask most people in the Bible Belt in the South, do you believe in God, do you believe in Jesus, how do they answer me? Yes. Now, they may not have been to church since Grandma died. They, they may not serve or give or sing or anything or worship or pray or tell others about Christ, they, 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 but, but it's a cultural thing with them. If you're going to be a Christian, then be one. Be all in. Give, life, give the Lord your entire life, personal revival to those that are in this building. And then if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know, my friends, God loves you. A great evangelist several years ago, not an evangelist, I'm sorry, he was a theologian. He taught at a seminary in London, and he was touring the United States. And at one of his meet and greets or whatever, one of the campuses, somebody asked him, this great theologian said, what is the greatest truth that you know? Tell us of all your studies and teaching, what is the greatest thing that you know, the deepest truth that you know? And he said, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision for Christ, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus took your place, and your pain, and your punishment on the cross of Calvary, that your sins might be forgiven, and that you might have an abundant life, and an eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a quote that I love, and it's this, decisions determine destiny. I am where I am today because of some decisions that I made a long time ago. I, I'm a preacher today because the Lord called me, and I went to school, college, and seminary. And, and so some decisions that I'm, some, some pot, good decisions, I'm where I am today because of some good decisions I made, and I am where I am today because of some Poor decisions that I made in the past. Your decisions determine destiny. The decisions that you make yesterday will determine where you will be tomorrow. And the most important decision, the decision that you make about the Lord Jesus Christ, will determine where you spend eternity. 
Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. Give your life to him. We need personal revival. We also need relational revival. What do I mean by that? We need a revival in such a way that people know that we not only love God, but we also love others deeply. It's easy to say you love someone, but love is action. And so if you really love someone, red and yellow, black and white, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, then that words has to translate in how you live. And we need relational revival. Ed Stetzer said a couple of weeks ago that in our broken world, we need one another. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are hopeless. And they need to experience the love of God. And where they experience the love of God is through God's people. Now, wouldn't it be great? And this is what we do. Boy, I visited Hillcrest Baptist Church. Boy, they got some great music over there. And boy, y'all do have some great music over here. I'm telling you, I told John to double your pay, whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's out. Listen, I can't, sing, I can't sing a lick, and I was singing. You know what I'm saying? Boy, it was bothering me having to clap, though. I cannot clap in rhythm, bro. You're, you're asking me to sing or to clap, but I cannot do both. I am a Baptist preacher. We were, it was a sin to dance. And so, I, you know, it's hard. Wouldn't it be something? Boy, I visited Hillcrest Baptist Church over there, and that preacher, boy, he is some kind of preacher. Woo, that's a great preacher. Amen. That's all right. But people that are hurting and people that are hopeless, they don't need to be talking about how great the music is. They don't need to be talking about how great John is. They ought to be saying, boy, those people over there, they sure love. I walked in that place, and I just sensed the love of God. That'll change their life. That, that, that'll change them. So we, we need relational revival. And for that to happen, now, they, they, I'm getting ready, this is going to be hard. A lot of times, it involves forgiveness. Now, we've been forgiven greatly, so we have to forgive. Forgiveness is not really an option. So, so let, let me tell you something. Churches, and I, I'm sharing about broken people tonight. Churches are filled with broken people. And I shouldn't say this word. Young people don't listen to this word. They do stupid things. You know what I'm saying? They do stupid things. If you go to church long enough, you go to church long enough, somebody's going to hurt your feelings. The worst I've ever been treated. People in the church. Worst I've ever been treated. People in the church. So you have to forgive. You have to move on. Forgive them. Forgiveness is not an emotion. If you wait till you feel like forgiving them, you will never forgive them. So you have to make a decision. Decision determines destiny. You have to make a decision. I'm making a decision that I'm going to forgive them. And cut people some slack. <laughs> Just cut them some slack. They're broken. They're hurting. Forgive them and love them and encourage them. Relational revival. If we're going to have revival in this church and in this nation, 
it's going to start with our relations with one another. People say, I don't go to church. That church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, that's right, because we're broken. I've made some commitments I haven't kept. You could call me a hypocrite. I'm broken. I've done some things I'm ashamed of. I'm broken. That's what the church is for. The church is for broken people. I grew up in church where I thought everybody had it together. That's the truth. You know, everybody put on their suits on Sunday morning, went to church. I was just a little boy, you know, and I thought everybody had it together but me. And then I became an adult, and I realized nobody has it together. So we have to forgive, and we have to love. Personal revival, relational revival, and then missional revival. We need to be seizing these opportunities to share the gospel. There are a lot, could you imagine living through these last 10 months without the hope that we have in God? Could you imagine living through this? I, I have told and I have preached to myself and to my congregation and to other churches over and over again over this last month that my, my anchor is that God is in control. Could you imagine going through all of this and not having that hope? Not realizing that God is in control? Not, not having the help that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Going through life like that. Going through this pandemic like that. This is an opportunity for the church to shine. Our hope is not in a vaccine. Our hope is not in the White House. But our hope and our confidence and our assurance is in Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus Christ that we share. A Barnard report in 2017 said in the United States, and this is the last statistics that we have, 49% of the people in the United States never go to church. Well, that's an opportunity, isn't it? 26% in this survey said they had no religion at all, and the fastest growing religion in the United States is Islam. So, so we have an opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and in Christ there is hope. The great commission is to go. Don't let it be the great omission. We're to go. And I know we've sort of been stifled a little bit, but we still need to go. We still need to be sharing. We still need to have gospel conversation. I close every Sunday our church by saying these three words, you are sent. That's how the last thing that's said from my pulpit is you are sent. In just a few moments we're going to be leaving here, and you are sent. You're sent to a world that needs to know the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us in these days be committed and surrendered to Christ that we might share the gospel to a world that needs to hear. In a changing world, what needs to change in you? If this church is to experience revival, in this changing world, what needs to change in you? Who do you need to forgive? Is there someone in your family that you need to forgive? Someone you work with, someone from your past. Listen, I know in our past there's hurts, and maybe there's a deep seed of bitterness in your heart. We have to have relational revival. God's going to do a new thing in your life. There must be forgiveness. Who's your one? I've seen a few banners around here. That's an emphasis in our denomination. Who's your one? Who has God put into your life? We call them divine appointments. See, people are brought into your life not by accident. 
A divine appointment is when the life of a lost person intersects with the life of a person that knows Christ. That's a divine appointment. And God has put that lost person into your life, not just for you to fish with them, not just for you to go to a ball game with them, but for you to share the gospel with them. And it's not that hard. John's going to be teaching you how to do it, but I want to tell you, it's not that hard. Just tell them what God did in your life. We make this too hard. Just have gospel conversations. And if you're looking for it, you'll have them. The Lord will open the door for you to give a witness for the Lord to that person that's lost. Who's your one? And then one more question. Are you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ right now than any other time in your life? Do you know the new things that God's doing in your life? You say, Terry, there was a time five, ten years ago, boy, I served the Lord. I, 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 I prayed and I worshiped. Boy, there was a time I went to camp. We had a revival here. And I was closer to the Lord than any other time in my life. That was a time where, where the, the realness of Christ was just, just changed my life. Boy, that happened five years ago. That happened seven years ago. If you're not closer to the Lord Jesus Christ right now than at any other time in your life, right now you're, you're not as close to him, then you need revival. If you can't give testimony to say, right now I am closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than any other time in my life, then you need revival. Gypsy Smith was a British evangelist. A long time ago, you probably have heard his name, Gypsy. My mother used to talk when she was a little girl that she would hear Gypsy Smith come through North Carolina and they would go hear him preach. And he used to, he was the ground back then, okay? But he used to draw a circle on the ground, big circle right there, you know, in the dirt. He'd draw a circle. And then he would step in the middle of that circle and he would say, Lord... I want you to send revival to everyone in this circle. Amen. Here's what I want us to do this morning. As a form of invitation, I'm going to ask you, if you're not as close to the Lord as you once were, you know, you know you've been playing games. If you know you need revival, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar I'm going to ask you to draw a circle, just like this. Just go like this, a little circle in front of you, and step into it and say, Lord, send a revival to every person in this circle.